You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne via the Community Radio Network to uh, north and south, east and west and everywhere in Australia. Every state and some territories uh, pick up the Anarchist World this week, which I'm thankful for. My name is Joseph Tosco, I'm hosting today's program, Anarchos, Anarchism, very simple concept, society without rulers, go back to basic principles, and we always go back to basic principles when we look at things here at the Anarchist World this week, because if you don't know the basic principles, you don't really know what's happening. So what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions and millions of people? Very simply, inequalities in power and wealth. So the Anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power and break down hierarchy, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very simple concepts, things that people have been striving for for uh, ten, thousands of years, thousands of years. So, I'm just, I'm amazed. I am really amazed. The war that should never have happened. And I've been thinking about this for a while, at least a week. Why is the conflict in the Ukraine and Russia? Why did Russia invade the Ukraine? And I've been thinking about it, and obviously there are many theories, And uh, but there is something that most people, I don't think anybody's actually talked about, about imperialism. Now, imperialism is a very simple concept. It's when one nation-state invades a nation-state. We're not talking about a civil war like in Syria or we saw continues in Libya or uh, some brutal military dictatorship like like in Myanmar, but we're talking about the invasion of one sovereign state by another sovereign state, which sends shivers through nation states around the world. You're thinking to myself, what's all this about? Now, currently, we are in the midst of an imperialist revolution and there are two major players in this imperialist revolution it's not the United Nations and I've heard this garbage over and over again the world government you know a lot of crap world government will come from imperialist powers they're the ones with the military muscle to conquer sovereign nation states and currently there are three sovereign nation states that have imperial ambitions. One is the United States. 
it has imperially you know ambitions not just in terms of taking over a sovereign nation state but dominating sovereign nation states culturally and economically and the united states has the military apparatus to ensure that domination now most sovereign nation states do not ha- do not have military bases outside their borders the united nations has approximately 800 military bases that's right 800 military bases including a few in australia outside its borders now russia another potential imperial power only has 21 military bases outside its borders and china has one in Djibouti in the horn of africa currently so we have these three imperial powers we've got a minor imperial power which is russia which hankers for the glories of the uh, soviet union we have the current major imperial power which is the united states of america and we have an emerging imperial power china so what's all this got to do with the invasion of the ukraine now the united states is very 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 keen to be able to divert its resources to the asian theater that's right because it is concerned about china in a number of ways because of its political philosophy its uh, soft power initiative through the uh, belt and road initiative which is involving more and more sovereign nation so-called independent sovereign nation states and obviously it's concerned about its increased military muscle although that military muscle is contained to a significant degree within China's borders. So it wants to basically reduce the struggle for domination of the world economy and culture to a struggle between the United States and China. Now, Mr Putin theoretically has been elected I think he's president or whatever he is these days, of Russia. So let's look at the mindset of the Russian government and the Russian oligarchs and the Russian people to a significant degree. And why this is a war that should never have happened and in many ways it's a trap for the Russians to drag them into a quagmire Conflict where the only winners will basically be the United States and China in the long run. Now, in 1962, those of you who are old enough, and I assume there aren't many of us around, will remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. In 1962, Khrushchev and Kennedy were on the brink of a nuclear war being declared. On the brink total devastation around the planet. The Russians or the Soviet Union had 
put missiles, nuclear-armed missiles, into Cuba, and the United States had put nuclear missiles into Turkey. And a standoff occurred between the leaders, between Kennedy and Khrushchev. And they agreed to ratchet down the tension. The Soviet Union agreed to remove the missiles from Cuba and the United States agreed to remove the missiles from Turkey. And World War Three was averted because they negotiated. So let's go let's go move forward to the twenty first century. With the collapse of the Soviet Union in nineteen ninety, I think it was nineteen ninety eighty nine, could have been ninety one. My mind's a bit hazy there regarding those figures. With the collapse of the Soviet Union, what happened is the mutual deterrent which occurred between NATO, the the National Atlantic Treaty Organisation, and the Warsaw Pact, which was basically a pact of vassal states of the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, collapsed. The Warsaw Pact collapsed. The Soviet Union collapsed. And many of the nations that had been part of the Soviet Union were able to declare independence and go their own way. Now, part of the agreement during that period was that as the Warsaw Pact had collapsed, that NATO would not extend its forces around Russia. But what happened over the years is that more and more East European nations joined NATO, and I can understand why they joined NATO. So in 2022, Russia is surrounded. Now, again, I'm not taking sides. I don't care one way or another. I do care about the loss of life, the totally needless loss of life, and I'll go into that in a minute, why it's a totally needless loss of life and why it shouldn't have occurred and why it has occurred. Now, the, the Russians feeling hemmed in on every side by NATO and its major partner, the United States, wanted some type of a guarantee that the Ukraine would not join NATO. It's always been a hot potato in the last two decades because this was the last buffer between Russia and Eastern Europe. Now, the Ukrainians, obviously, had declared their independence and in 2014. They lost some of their territory when the Russians took over Crimea and some bits of the Ukraine. So here we have the situation. The United States knows knows well in advance that the Soviet Union has amassed forces around Ukraine and most likely will invade Ukraine. But there is a period when negotiations were possible. 
And these negotiations were based on the idea that the Ukraine did not join NATO. This was the minimum requirement. Now, the United States banked on the idea that Russia would most likely back down and not invade the Ukraine. So it refused to negotiate. They refused to negotiate with the Russians regarding the Ukrainian sphere of influence. Now, let's not forget the United States has always agreed that the Ukraine is in the Russian sphere of influence, like the South American states are in the United States' sphere of influence. If the Ukraine was not in that sphere of influence, you would have had NATO troops and United States troops confronting Russians in the Ukraine currently and even declaring a no-flight zone over the Ukraine, which they haven't and won't. So in many regards, the Ukrainians have become the meat in the sandwich in this global, global dispute about who's going to be the major imperial power, which economic system is going to dominate, which corporations are going to maximise their profits. Now, so the Russians have been outmanoeuvred beautifully by the United States, not being able to reach a negotiated settlement has occurred in 1962 between Kennedy and Khrushchev. Putin made the fateful decision to invade Ukraine. Now, what this decision will mean is what I call the Afghanistan situation. When the Russians invaded Afghanistan, the United States poured money and arms into Afghanistan and eventually the Russians were forced to withdraw and eventually the Soviet Union collapsed. And that was part of that thing. So this is part of the thinking. If Russia enters a war with Ukraine, which it has, and the West United States continue to pour military support into, the, into Ukraine, and Ukrainian nationalists continue to put up a dogged resistance against Russian imperialism, what will happen is that the Russia will be bogged down in this never-ending war. At the same time, its economy, because of sanctions and also because of the cost of war, will shrink and collapse. And the Russian Empire will no longer be an imperial force. It will no longer be able to conduct its business as a sovereign nation state with imperial ambitions to conquer surrounding nation states. This leaves this leaves the situation open for the United States, which already has over 800 military bases around the world, to concentrate its efforts on containing the Chinese government. I know, I know it sounds Machiavellian. 
It all sounds very Machiavellian, but unfortunately, we don't count. The people of the Ukraine don't count. The people of Russia don't count. The people of Australia don't count. When we have these geopolitical manoeuvrings where people want to ensure that their system of government, their economic system, dominates world events. So we are moving into a period of imperialism. It's an exceptionally important period because there will be proxy wars breaking out around the globe. So what does this have to do with poor little old Australia? Well, poor little old Australia has attached itself to the United States coattails. We've seen increased military deployments in the Northern Territory. We've seen bellicose rhetoric regarding China coming from the current government. We've seen economic issues which are now developing. And again, does it really help us? Does the war in the Ukraine help the Ukrainian people? Even if they're able to stop you know, the Russian advance. It doesn't in the long run. A negotiated settlement at the beginning would have prevented not only this war, but would have helped to contain the imperial ambitions of China, the United States and Russia. And if you are concerned about world government, we are already in the grips of moves to have a world government. Not a world government which emanates from the United Nations, which is a load of, total load of cods, and garbage, but a world government which comes from the economic domination of the planet and a world government that comes from the cultural domination of the planet. And that's the issue. That is the central issue. Are we an independent sovereign nation state with our own culture? our own military alliances? Or are we as a nation part and parcel of some grand United States plan to continue its domination both military and economically and culturally of most of the planet? Yes, to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Look, I don't have any answers, but... I think it's important that we look at backgrounds to dispute, we look at the reasons, and we look at who's going to be the eventual winners and what it's all about. As I said before, this is a war that should not have happened. When you negotiate, both sides give a little in order to arrive at a compromise. And from the word go, there was no hint from the United States and its uh, you know, partner, NATO, that they were willing to make any compromises regarding the Russians' concerns regarding their security and regarding the Ukrainian people's lives and livelihoods. 
And that's what this war is about. It's about creating the conditions to ensure that the coming struggle in the 21st century, the highway to imperialism, is a battle between two main forces, China and Russia. And that's why, as an anarchist, I've always said the greatest threat that human beings face is the concentration of power in fewer and fewer and fewer hands. And although both Russia and the United States are nominal democratic countries, the fact is that ultimate power not only rests in the hands of their presidents, but it also rests in the hands of that small sector society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. I've always been interested in Australia's migration policies. I mean, the first legislation that was passed by the independent uh, sovereign nation state of Australia on the 1st of January, well, the debate began on the 1st of January 1901, was Australia's migration policy. After the uh, conquest of the land which belonged to no one, terra nullius, and the genocide of this country's original inhabitants, both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, we've always thought of ourselves in as a settler culture, a white society in the midst of an Asian, in the midst of Asia. And Australia's migration policies have always have, to a significant degree, up till about 1972 were based on the concept of that concept. I mean, the old populate or perish mass migration boom which happened after World War II was directly as a result of the, Jap- the Japanese imperial forces' uh, potential invasion of Australia, where the pot- political leaders in the 50s and 60s believed that the only way forward was to increase white immigration. And we made no excuses for the racist policies. But in the 70s, things began to change. But they really haven't changed. It's no longer about our migration policies are no longer about a person's colour or culture. They're about skills. For far too long in this country, we have refused point blank to educate Australians. We have refused to invest in the future of Australians in terms of developing skills, especially skills that require four, five, six years of training. I'll give you an example. This is an example which I'm very familiar with. I graduated with a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery from the Queensland University in 1976. I think there were about 170 of us that graduated that year. I think in about 
2010, when the population of Queensland had doubled from 2 million to 4 million, the number of doctors who graduated was 100. And why is that? Because of our migration policy, which cannibalises the developing world's skilled young people. Our migration policy has basically, over the last 30 years, 40 years, been based on cannibalising skilled migrants from third world and developing countries. So these third world and developing countries put all this effort and energy into educating people to acquire skills that are necessary in a postmodern economy. And we cannibalise them. We take them into this country, fast-track them, because it's cheap. It's cheap labour. So not only does it cause significant issues in the country where these skilled workers come from, it also cripples this country. And it cripples this country because resources are not used to educate Australians to develop those skills. I mean, our migration policies has basically been one which is a bargain basement migration policy. Only people who are healthy, relatively young, and skilled are welcome in this country. I'm sure you've all heard of the stories when people come across and they've got a ch- can't come because a child's paralysed or has got a medical condition. So the whole family is banned from coming. So it's not a migration policy which is based on race anymore, but it's a migration policy which is based on skills because we are not willing to train local people because it costs money and it's cheaper to poach people from third world and developing nations. Now, I've got nothing against people who come here because they've got skills and they've been offered positions through a migration policy, but I do have problems with a migration policy which is basically designed to cripple third world nations and cripple our own people because we are not willing to educate people. Oh, we're willing to take them through primary and secondary school, but when it comes to, you know, long apprenticeships, university education, it's a different matter. It's a totally different matter. When people talk about skills shortages, skills shortages have occurred because we have not, as a people, not invested. Successive governments have not invested in this country's young people. They want a large pool of semi-skilled, unskilled, part-time workers to fill that void. And again, I know it sounds a bit paranoid, but why do you think before COVID-19, one in seven Australian workers was on on a temporary work visa? 
Simply. It's not because we can't do the work. It was because we need a large pool of non-unionised labour to keep a downward pressure on wages. It's very simple. And if you cripple the unions through legislative legislation so that they can't even actually strike, then you've got a perfect setting to create a pool of low-waged workers, which we see in many parts of the world. But do we really want to find ourselves in that situation? So let's think about it. So if we don't want a, a migration policy which is based on cannibalising skilled workers from third world countries, what type of migration policy should we have? Now, obviously, we you know we have a 2% immigration rate. That means the GDP goes up by 2%. Not because we're smarter, not because we work harder, but because the population increases. You get more people, you need more houses, you need more services. It's very simple. But unfortunately, at the same time, as the population increases through migration, we don't have the infrastructure or the services to deal with an increasing population. So living in the cities becomes much a much more difficult proposition for more and more people. You have to commute longer. Uh, it just goes on and on. So what type of migration policies should we have? Now, I've said before, and I'll say it again, the migration policy we should have is one which gives preference to refugees and asylum seekers. The best immigrants you can have in this country are those people who are fleeing persecution, who want to start a new life. They're the best people. They may need to be trained, they may be unskilled, they may be semi-skilled, but if you wanted a migration policy, at least 50% of that migration policy should be directed at refugees, which is an increasing number around the world, and asylum seekers. But no, what do we do? We jail them indefinitely, especially if they come by boats. Again, something else to think about. I mean, if there's one thing listening to the Anarchist World this week does, it actually, hopefully, makes you think about things that most people just take for granted. See, that's the problem with living in Australia in the 21st century, and living in most parts of the world. It's a day-to-day proposition. We have no past, we have no future, all we have is the present. Floods, fires, cyclones, wars, all we have is the present. In any society that doesn't understand where it comes from, doesn't value its past, its good and bad elements of the past, doesn't analyse the past, doesn't look at the past, doesn't revere the past, will find itself in this situation where we bumble along from problem to problem, disaster to disaster, and nothing highlights this more than the Morrison-led Liberal National Party government over the last three years, which has been a total disaster in terms of lack of leadership, lack of initiative, lack of purpose. They put their hands in their pocket and they say, oh, here's another million dollars, here's another billion dollars, that'll solve the problem. Well, it doesn't solve the problem. All it does is perpetuates the problem. I'll give you an example, a simple example. Right, massive floods around the country. 
Now, I know people say there's always been floods in Australia. Well, obviously there's always been floods in Australia. But, as science has shown, I know science is not a nice word these days in the 21st century world, that with the climate emergency, the number of events like floods will increase, the severity will increase, the number will increase. And we've seen that already. We've seen areas that haven't flooded historically that are now flooding. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is very simple. It's all very well to provide a few thousand dollars for people to clean up and then muddle through the best way they can. I mean, I've involved, I've been involved in a flood with major structural damage to a home I was in. I've been involved in a major fire. I know what it's like. After the first week or two, or the tut-tut in the news, nobody gives a shit. You're left on your own, and if you've got no insurance, you're stuffed. And the problem is, currently, the current floods, the insurance company is not fools. Insurance is a bet. You're betting with the company that they're not, that you're not going to win. It's like life insurance, you know? They bet that you're not going to die before the age of 65. At the age of 65, they usually cancel your life insurance because then the odds are in your favour that you're more likely to die than not die. And that's what insurance is about. So obviously insurance companies aren't stupid. They do their analysis. They're there to make a profit like every other capitalist company. And they've made the analysis that there are certain areas of this country which are flood-prone. And over the decades, we have built on these flood plains. And we've built in a way that doesn't take into account the fact that flooding may occur. For example, even the first colonisers had the brains, especially in southeast Queensland, which is prone to flooding, to build homes on stilts. And they were built on stilts for a very good reason, because people knew if you lived in inner Brisbane, the area would flood. But now, because of their lax planning laws, we don't. So we stumble from disaster to disaster to disaster, never making Plans. Look at the city of Lismore. 50,000 people, totally devastated. 14 metre um, high water mark. A metre greater than they'd ever seen before. Areas flooded that had never been flooded before. Now the fact is, irrespective of the levees that are there, that this town will not be able to exist. But is there any discussion regarding government buyback, relocation, rebuilding. No, it's all about a mud army cleaning out a few homes, which is a volunteer. I've got nothing against the mud army. They're doing a good job. But no planning. Our beloved Prime Minister, COVID-3, will be dropping around to drop around a few dollars, hoping that uh, they won't forget as the election's around the corner. But really... Think about it. No forward planning. You plan for things. You try to avert problems. But if you shrug your shoulders and say climate emergency doesn't exist, there are no issues, well, you don't need to forward plan, do you? You don't need to get the corporate world to shirk, you know, to... um, be responsible. Like I said last week, very simple. 
this country is in for a big, big, big shake-up. Fortunately, I'll be dead before most of the uh, major problems occur because of my age. But we're going to have major problems, not just climate emergency problems, but problems due to mass migration because of the climate emergency, problems due to war because of the imperial dispute, the imperial battle between the United States and China. There'll be problems galore, but what do we do? We just go, shrug our shoulders, let's move on to the next disaster. You know, put a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid there, and hopefully nobody will remember. See, that's the issue. As I said last week, why not charge half a cent on every financial transaction in this country in any entity or corporation, privately owned, publicly owned, that has a turnover of more than, say, $10 million per year, you could raise at least 40 to $50 billion. That's half a cent. Half a cent. And you could use this money to set up 50 disaster centres with a coordinating body, possibly in Canberra, around the country. Disaster centres that are actually staffed, that have got the equipment, the resources to deal with a disaster. 50 centres, that's one centre for each half a million people. Whether it's a flood or a fire or a wall, pestilence, whatever, you have the capacity to react. But no, nobody talks about it. They talk about relocation... You know, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. Let's forget about it. And that's the beauty about disasters. Once the cameras are turned off, people are left basically to rot in their own juices. And I've had that experience. It's your problem. And if you're not insured, it's doubly your problem. You know what my biggest concern is with regarding the current floods that have occurred on a lot of floodplains which are uninsurable? Many of these people have got mortgages. Although their homes are totally destroyed and in many cases will have to be removed, they will have to continue paying that mortgage unless they go bankrupt. The banks haven't foreclosed on mortgage repayments. I haven't heard anything from the banks, have you? The list goes on and on. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, people say, Joe, you're sounding a little bit, you know, cynical. Well, I'm not. If I was cynical and I didn't believe change was possible, I wouldn't be here. Why would I waste my time talking to myself in this room, in this little studio in Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne? Why would I waste my time? I could do better things. I could go to sleep. Why would I waste my time if I was cynical? I mean, the great thing about being an anarchist is we're always hopeful. As I said before, hope hope is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation for change. For example, I spoke about these imperial wars, which we are going to see more and more of, as the United States and China jockey to be the main player in world affairs. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, the struggle to break down hierarchy and the struggle to decentralise power is the way forward 
to beat a sovereign nation state's imperial ambitions because a sovereign nation state is nothing without its people jumping and obeying its orders to kill each other. For example, I've said consistently, it's not a new thing, it's not my idea, that World War I was a war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet. And in many regards, what is happening in Russia and the Ukraine is the same, same, same concept. People have been slaughtered for imperial ambitions or Machiavellian plans to you know, dominate world affairs. So I'm full of hope. And what gives me a lot of this hope is what's happening in the autonomous, administ- the autonomous administration of North and East Syria. Now, five million people surrounded by hostile forces, five million people who sacrificed 30,000 young men and women bringing Islamic State to its knees and a standstill, are now living their lives with the threat of war, with the threat of the Russians and the Syrians invade them, with the threat of the Tur- Turkish army invading them, who've already invaded a little bit, but are living their lives outside the boundaries of a sovereign nation-state. It's an autonomous administration zone. It's people working together, both Arabs, some Europeans, Kurds, in order to look after their basic human needs. Not manufactured human needs, but basic human needs. And not only surviving, but prospering. Because they were willing to take that road, the road to decentralisation of power. And that's the key. While we have rulers who have the capacity to mobilise millions and tens of millions for some nebulous cause like nationalism or pride or imperial ambitions and we're willing to be sacrificed like bloody sheep on their altar. We want our children and our children's children to be sacrificed on their altar. Well, that's the type of world we will have. And this is, this is an ongoing theme in human history, in the history of the human race. And it, ma- it makes it even more complex when people you know, shroud their ideas in words like freedom and democracy. Freedom and democracy? I mean, freedom and democracy are based on two concepts. They're based on access to power and access to wealth. There is no freedom, apart from the freedom to exist in a democratic capitalist society if you don't actually have the wealth to look after your needs. Think about it. And that's one of the disappointing aspects about living in a postmodern capitalist society. Living an ethical and moral life is a loser's game. Who are the winners in Australian society in the 21st century? Who are the great winners? Well, we've got the Disunited Australia Party leader, Clive Palmer, his own political party, a man whose business uh, enterprises are questionable, a man who's doing everything he can to ensure that he continues to be able to exploit his coal leases 
around the country. Then we have people who've made billions of dollars from exploiting our resources. People like Twiggy Forrest and Gina Reinhart, the list goes on and on. Billions of dollars, that's their personal wealth. Billions of dollars. And then using those billions of dollars to expand their economic empire. They're the winners. People who exploit other people's labour. They're the winners. Those who've got disposable income to invest, they're the winners. Somebody does an honest day's work for a, for a, for a decent wage, they're losers. Total losers. To live an ethical and moral life in Australia is the simple, most effective way to destroy your children and their children's futures. Because ethical and moral lives are irrelevant in a society which is based on the concept of making ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human social environmental costs. Totally irrelevant. It's about the amount of money in your pocket at the end of the day. Can you become part of that investment class, that 8% of Australians who are living quite well? Can you become that 1% that owns the means production, distribution, exchange and communication? Can you become part of that legacy media which continues to set the social, political and cultural agenda? And if one of the major political parties or even a minor party steps out of line steps out of line and questions the 21st century sacred cow, corporate capitalism, woe be you. Woe be you. Think about it. What is the most sacred, essential, central element of Australian living? personal investment for personal profit but more importantly than that corporate capitalism talking about ethical living fancy during the COVID-19 crisis the federal government gives the corporate sector an $18 billion handout which they don't need but makes no allowances on how to recoup that money now, if you're receiving a Social Security benefit and you get overpaid, I can assure you, you'll be pursued till the day you die. Anybody involved in the robo-debt scandal, and that was a total scandal, will understand the situation. Superannuation. I want to mention that again. You work hard. You get a bit of super. You retire. You pay for your own retirement. But what's extraordinary about the superannuation schemes in this country is the richer you are, the more money you're able to put aside tax-free for your retirement. So you may do a decent job, a decent, useful job. You may be a cleaner or a clerk and do a decent job all your life. At the end of the day, you'll be in the same situation you won't have a wonderful retirement. You'll just be able to pay the bills if you're lucky. That's if you own your own home. Think about it. 
and they call this the lucky country. Obviously, the title was the lucky country for some. But again, I don't blame people in authority. I blame us. I blame you and me. Because we're all members of two tribes, which I keep talking about. The Gunner tribe and the somebody should do something about that tribe. You know, and their their membership is bigger than the Collingwood Football Club by millions. Big clubs, the Gunner Tribe. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that, but the miniature of everyday existence stops you from doing everything. Stops you from doing everything. The Gunner Tribe. Then the somebody should do something about that tribe. Wow, I cast my vote every three years. That's all I need to do to be live in a democracy. Well, it's much more than that. You need to become involved, you need to become active, you need to take action. Currently, the Australian people are considered by the corporate sector and this country's governments, irrespective of their colour, to be fools, idiots, fools, losers. This should be the richest country on the planet. We should not have nearly a million children living in poverty. I shouldn't have to walk around homeless people in Melbourne. We shouldn't see taxpayers' money squandered on corporate welfare. We shouldn't be seeing the corporatisation of industries squeezing out and bankrupting honest, hard-working business people in this country who cannot compete against the corporate giants. We shouldn't have an aged care sector that's totally underfunded and not suitable for need. We shouldn't be waiting years for elective surgery. And the list goes on and on. If we can't do it, who can do it? As I keep saying, it's 25 million people living on a continent and we can't even accept the basic premises of the Uluru Statement from the heart from this country's First Nations people. Truth-telling. Moving towards a treaty. We continue to pass legislation which cripples the trade union sector, which makes striking illegal outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. And even during an enterprise bargaining agreement period, you find that the courts ban you. And the list goes on and on. And there's nothing more disgusting that highlights this situation when the ball and chain around home ownership in this country. We've got to the situation in 2022 where a mortgage becomes an intergenerational issue. When people are paying a million dollars for a three-bedroom home in some nondescript outer suburb of Melbourne or Sydney, you begin to understand there are real issues. Because how can you 
meet those mortgage repayments if interest rates go up. And if you think interest rates are not going to go up, they will go up. Why is it that public housing has been almost destroyed in this country, that everything worth talking about in the public sector has now been privatised? It shouldn't be this way. And ultimately, we only have ourselves to blame. It's all very well to point at the 1% who own the means of production, distribution and exchange. It's all very well to point at the Liberal National Party. It's all very well to point at the ALP. But ultimately, it's our problem. It's our responsibility. If you want change, you need to understand that we are the people we've been waiting for. It's not your local minister or your local imam or your local rabbi. And it's not your local member of parliament or some corporate business leader or some philanthropist or some celebrity, some sporting jock or some celebrity is a celebrity because they're a celebrity and the list goes on and on. It's because we are not willing to confront the situation we find ourselves in. And that's the issue. So if you are interested in joining like-minded people, I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can actually join online. Yes, we've joined the 21st century. You can join online, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can write, yes, I do still answer letters. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or, inf- or info at pipsy.net. Anarchistage at yahoo.com, pipsy.net. Don't forget, 27th of March is the West is the West Papuan Rent Collective Gathering here in Melbourne, midday, Sunday the 27th of March. Don't forget that. I'll talk about more about that next week. And the important thing, as I keep saying, is that ultimately, if you're, you don't take action... If you don't get involved, if you don't learn your history, well, nothing will change. Nothing will change. I'd like to thank all those people of the Community Radio Network for ensuring that this program is broadcast across Australia via the network. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR for giving the anarchist world this week in its various guises from 1977 the ability to uh, broadcast to you. I'd like to thank all our listeners, and most importantly of all, I'd like to thank Clean Air. You like that? <laughs> Clean Air. That's what we need. Clean air, more oxygen, more thinking, more change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. If you've got the urge, you can always leave a message, and the keyword is leave a message, on 0439 395 489. Evil minds that plot destruction construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.